Well, good morning. So good to see you. Thanks for being here. Uh, I am so proud of each and every one of you guys for showing up to church on a freezing Sunday morning. Give it up for yourself for being here. Usually Dan and I dance from Colorado. I'm from New York. We joke around like as soon as he hits 40, everyone stays indoors and snuggles inside. But you guys are here on a Sunday morning. If you're watching us online, thanks for tuning in. Uh, if you missed last week, uh, we're in a second part of a brand new sermon series called New Year Old Wisdom, and we're exploring wisdom that's found in the book of Proverbs, and I think wisdom is one of the most important qualities for us to possess this year as a church, as individuals, as families. And um, we talked last week about how God approaches a man named Solomon and asks him, whatever, ask me whatever you want, I'll grant it to you. And Solomon, interestingly, asked for wisdom so he can discern between right and wrong, and Solomon would go on to write what we know as wisdom literature um, in the book of Proverbs especially, and in the book of Proverbs, you find that Solomon mostly talks about wisdom, but there's one thing that he talks about outside of wisdom the most, and that is the power of our words, the power of our speech, the power of our tongue, what we say to one another, and that's what we're going to dive into today. And the title of my message this morning is Watch Your Mouth. Everybody say, Watch Your Mouth. Imagine with me for a moment a world without words as we know it. It will be a totally different world that we can imagine. For me, I know for my kids, uh, their favorite part of the day is the bedtime stories that we read with them. And it's always two books that we read with them right before bed. That will be gone. Their hearts would be broken. Right after that, we do family prayer. That We would have no family prayer. Uh, family prayer for us right now looks like my wife and I praying uh, very real prayers, not like child prayers, but real prayers with each other so our kids can hear it. But then our kids, because they're three under five, are like crawling on us and on each other and digging for toys under the bed and stuff like that. And I say that because if you're a parent in that life stage, it's okay. Just keep going with them. But family prayer will be gone as we know it. Uh, we wouldn't be teaching our kids the alphabet or how to enunciate their words. Uh, think about the world that we live in, the beauty of the world that we live in. A lot of it is tied to words, uh, the beauty of poetry or books that you read. Or speeches that you hear as we near Martin Luther King Day. Think about some of the greatest speeches that we've heard. They have all would be gone and cease to exist if we didn't have words. Think about scripture that we read. We wouldn't have a Bible without words. Our relationships will be complicated without words. Think about being in a relationship and the complexities of communicating to one another without having words and not being able to say I love you to a child or to a spouse. Our words are also very influential. Some of you are really good with your words. That's why you landed a wife that looks a lot better than you. All the men say amen. If you didn't say it, you should have said it if you're a guy. Um, some of you got a job because you're able to use your words properly. Or got a promotion because of that. Think about this year, someone will get elected to the most powerful position in the entire world because of how well they use their words. Words are some of the most important and powerful um, tools at our disposal as human beings. Think about how words can bring healing to our lives. Maybe you've been through some things in your life, a disappointment or a letdown or a loss. Maybe it was words shared by a friend or a family member that calmed you, brought you peace and comfort. Hey, I'm there with you. I love you. You're going to get through it. Words are powerful, and they can bring healing as well. Now, if you live long enough, you know that while there are a lot of positive qualities to using words and to our speech, we can also get in trouble with our words. If you're living with your parents, you might know what that feels like. Or if you're married, you know what that feels like. Words can cause damage as well. Words have the powerful to hurt. Think about all the relational conflict that you've had in your life. 
I bet that if you could trace them back, there are probably some misunderstandings, some job conflicts, some marital issues that were tied to the use of words by one person or another. When that person said too much, when that person said too little, when that person said nothing, when that person said something offensive, when they lied to you. For some of you, it's words that have been spoken over you or at you that have shaped who you are and your identity today. And so this message might be a little sensitive for some of you. For some of you, someone told you at some point that you're not good enough and that has shaped who you are and what you believe about yourself. Someone told you that you're not the right fit or you're too dark or you're not pretty enough or you're not in shape enough. Whatever it may be, words have the power to damage us as well. We all know the age-old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Now, this phrase, whether you agree with it or not, I think all of us inherently at some times believe that physical pain hurts us as human beings more than emotional or psychological pain. Now, there's a study that was done. A set of neuroscientists did a study to figure out if words actually hurt human beings. And it's very fascinating. And here's what they found out. They monitored people and their brain responses to auditory and even imagined negative words. So words spoken at them or words that they were told to think in their own heads. And what they discovered was that the most painful or, or was that painful or negative words increase implicit processing within the subgenual anterior cingulate cortex. You guys know what that means, right? It hurts my head just saying that. But what it basically means is this. For these folks, within the study, negative words release stress and anxiety-inducing hormones within their bodies. And there are other studies that back this up, and it's very fascinating. One found, for example, that anxiety caused by negative words spoken over children not only had immediate impact, but long-lasting impact as they grew into adulthood. So we talk about words in our speech, and isn't it fascinating that something that can be so beautifully necessary and impactful to our lives at the same time has the capacity to damage who we are, our identities, our inner beings. I think this is why, as I said earlier, aside from wisdom itself, Solomon writes about the power of our words all throughout his book. We talked about how it can be beautiful and cause damage. Solomon takes it a step further. Here's what he says, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. He says this, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. He takes it a step further. He says, not just about being beautiful and damaging. He says, it's a matter of life and death. One theologian, one commentator, he says this, Solomon is equating the power of our speech to the greatest good available to humanity and the greatest evil available to humanity. So what Solomon is saying essentially means for you and I that every single day of your life, your words have the ability to create life or to create death. Now, if that's true, think about this year that we're stepping into and how you want this year to be defined for you. How will the words that come out of your mouth bring life to your family, to your friendships, to your kids, to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to yourself? And here's what I want us to do. I think that there are some pitfalls that you and I fall into because we're human beings when it comes to the use of our words and our speech and our communication. And I want us to give three specific pitfalls that we fall into because I think it's going to help you. And this is not just about self-help, by the way. Your ability to use your words properly to bring about life is connected to the greatest commandment that Jesus has given us, which is to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And for many of us, 
we're not able to accomplish that great commandment because we're not sure and we don't know how to use our words properly. Here's how Eugene Peterson says it. He says, we cannot be too careful about the words we use. We start out using them and they end up using us. So we're going to dive into three pitfalls to avoid when it comes to using our words. You guys with me? You good to go? You sure you're still thawing? You're still cold? All right. Let's go. Number one, talking without thinking. Talking without thinking. Here's what Solomon writes. Proverbs 29, verse 20. Do you see someone who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for them. He says, do you know someone who speaks before they think? There's no hope for them. There's more hope for a fool than there is for them. Speaking too quickly diminishes your ability to create life with your words. Let me explain. Um, there's a pop popular uh, idea out there that your words are the dress of your thoughts. In other words, your words clothe your thoughts. And when you speak, what you are doing is clothing the thoughts that you have inside of your mind. And what Solomon is saying here is that the one who speaks too quickly is the one who presents his words in filthy rags. Unprocessed words, unprocessed thoughts. Limit your ability to create life with your words. Think about that quick text message that you fired off out of an emotional response. Or the words that you shared out of an emotional reaction to a person that wasn't that kind to you. Think about how quickly you've blurted out words that no one in church or your family thought you had the capacity to say, but you said it because of an emotional reaction. Quick and hasty words, Solomon is saying, are never life-giving because they're presented like filthy racks. I've learned this the hard way in my life. I've, heard, I've learned this, that when it comes to testing my character, my patience, my ability to be a follower of Jesus, there are three things that have tested me the most. Number one, getting married. It's okay, you can laugh. Number two, having kids. And number three, getting a job. Those three things have tested me more than anything else in my life. As a parent, my kids are three under five, and they're at the phase of just testing me and testing me and pushing me and pushing me to the limits. Why? Because they're testing their boundaries. They're trying to see what they can get away with, what they can say over and over and over and over till it drives their parents crazy. And I've learned it the hard way when it comes to my marriage as well. Sometimes I say things too quickly or I'm not as kind as I can be with my words. And I've always found myself realizing that my words did something that I never thought they would do. And here's why. It's important for us to not be too quick and hasty with the words that come out of our mouth because what comes out of your mouth can never be taken back. You can never take back what comes out of your mouth. So I find myself at night talking to my wife going, I shouldn't have raised my voice at my kids tonight. Like I knew they were eating spaghetti on the floor and rubbing the red sauce all over the carpet. And they shouldn't have done that, but I should not have raised my voice at them. I don't feel good about it. I found myself telling my wife, hey, I was stressed out today and I came home and I wasn't as kind as I should have been to you. I'm sorry. Now imagine with me, and here's the power of words. Imagine that you had a friend or a coworker or a spouse that you did this to over and over. So you were very quick, short with your words and quick to respond, emotional outbursts, and you said that to them, and then you said sorry, right? Now imagine you do that every single day of your life. Do you think that this relationship is going in a healthy direction? No. But you might say, well, I said sorry. The problem is that our words are powerful. 
And words that are spoken over and over are damaging to us to the point that those apologies no longer mean anything. Here's how Solomon says in Proverbs 12, 18. The words of thoughtless people cut like swords, but the tongue of wise people brings about healing. This is why it's so difficult to overcome harsh words that we speak against people. Because Solomon says it's like a driving a sword into a person. You can take it out, but there might be some damage that has been caused. There might be some scarring that's there from the words that you spoke over your life. But the tongue of the wise bring healing. Solomon is saying we've got to be people that are consistently bringing healing and creating life with our speech. There's this rabbinic Jewish saying that says this, Two ears are given to us, but only one tongue. The ears are open and exposed, whereas the tongue is walled in behind our mouth, behind our teeth. It's important for us to use our ears. When it comes to talking without thinking, speaking too quickly not only diminishes your ability to create life with your words, but it diminishes your ability to offer the gift of listening to others. Listening is a gift that you and I have, and we rarely use it. James, the brother of Jesus, he was one of the early church leaders. He talks about using our words a lot and the power of our words and our tongue a lot. And here's what he says when it comes to listening. James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. James establishes an order here. And he says, listen first, speak slowly, and let your emotions follow. The pitfall that many of us fall into is that we've got it totally flipped around, right? We get emotional and angry maybe at first. Our pride comes into play, our ego. All that stuff comes to the surface. And then we speak. And then listening, maybe if you get in trouble or maybe if you realize later on, you start listening. And this is especially important. This gift that we have of listening when it comes to conflicts in our lives. See, you and I, we know how to listen. Last night, maybe you were at home and you're watching a TV show that you love or the game that's on TV and, and you're watching, but you're also listening and not talking and you're just sitting there listening. Maybe on the drive to church this morning, you were listening to something. Every single one of you this morning are listening for about an hour of the service. So it's not that we don't know how to listen or that we're bad listeners. It's that when it comes to conflict in life, you and I forget the gift of listening supposed to offer the other person. Notice what James says. He doesn't just say, be quick to listen and slow to speak. He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and then what? Slow to anger. Because oftentimes when it comes to conflicts, relational conflicts, disagreements that we have with one another, we forget what it's like to listen to the other person. All we care about is what we want to say to that person. I love how pastor, author Andy Stanley says this. He says this, when it comes to conflict, we are confident that what we need to say is what they need to hear. We are confident that what we need to say is what they need to hear. Solomon and James and Scripture is warning us. Don't be so prideful in thinking that what you need to say is what they need to hear. Rather, submit yourself to say, I need to hear what they need to say. This is what wisdom when it comes to our speech means. I need to hear what they need to say. Think about how revolutionary this would be in your marriages, in your relationships, in your friendships, when it comes to your parenting. When you get into conflict, submitting to wisdom that says, just listen, offer that gift to them, then speak, and then let your ego, your pride, your emotions be the last thing. 
sitting across from couples, I found this as I hear about their marriages. Many times one person speaks and the other person is thinking about their response while the other person is speaking. We have a difficult time just simply offering the gift of listening so that we can understand the other person's perspectives. Think about how revolutionary, how much this would change your relationships, the differences that we have. It's one of the reasons that church here at Outer West, we say we have primary beliefs and secondary beliefs. Our primary beliefs are beliefs that pertain to salvation. But there are so many secondary beliefs that you and I will have because we're a non-denominational church and many of you come from different backgrounds and experiences. And what we say when we say secondary matters are good for us to disagree on at times is that we want to listen to one another and hear one another's perspectives when it comes to secondary matters. Think about how revolutionary and different it would be this election year versus last election year that we had if you would just listen to some people. See, many of us, by the way, stats would show that this room is split 50-50 when it comes to who to vote for, which party to vote for. And many of you on either side, you're saying, that party is wrong and they need to hear what I need to say. And this side, you're saying the same thing. They need to hear what I need to say. Why? Because both parties believe that they're in the right. And this is how life works, right? Anytime you're in conflict, the other person thinks that they're in the right. You think that you're in the right. Wisdom, when it comes to our speech, is simply saying, I just need to listen. What would it look like for us to learn why someone believes what they believe is so close to home for them, so convicting for them? We rarely do that. We see disagreements and we put up walls. We put up walls with our neighbors, our coworkers, even people within the church. There are people in your life that are simply looking for you to listen. In fact, it's one of the reasons that Barna and studies have shown that younger people are leaving the church. They found that in the church, it's not a safe place for them to share their thoughts and to be listened to. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the uh, most influential theologians of the past century, here's what he says about listening. He says, many people are looking for an ear that will listen. They do not find it among Christians because we are talking when we should be listening. We forget that listening is a gift that you and I have at our disposal, but we're too busy talking before thinking and talking before listening. Don't fall into that pitfall. What you say matters, how you say it matters, when you say it matters. And if you're just firing off words without listening, without processing it, your words are presented to other people as filthy rags. Number two. Second pitfall to avoid when it comes to our language, our speech, and our mouth, being honest without love. Honesty without love. Proverbs 26, 18 to 19. It's one of my favorite verses in the book of Proverbs. It's so practical. It says this, Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is the one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. We've all said this before, right? I was just joking. Well, I can't say what's on my mind now. I was just joking. I didn't mean it that way. At times when it comes to our words, it's easy for us to make excuses. If you're married, if you've been in a relationship at some point, if you have friends, you've probably said this to each other at one point. And we've become deceptive with our language by masking something that maybe we inside kind of mean and intend with the veneer of a joke. And we just say, I was just joking. And Solomon is saying, you've already shot off flaming arrows of death because you're deceptive with your words. And let me just pause here and say this. Talking to one another is really complicated. Like you might think it's just easy to talk to one another. But communication is really complicated. 
And you and I know this because you've been in relationships where it's been complicated. I mean, there's tone that matters. There's context that matters. Uh, there's expression that matters. There's power dynamics that matters, but depending on who's saying what to who, it all matters. But I think sometimes, especially in the church I found, some of us believe that we have the right to be reckless with our words. Here's what I mean by that. You say, oh, I'm just an honest person. That's just who I am, so I got to just say what's on my mind. And we wear it like a badge of honor. Say, I'll just make sure that that car salesman, he's got to hear what's on my heart. I wait till that teacher gets a load of what's on my heart because they shouldn't have spoken that way to my kid. We feel like we have the right to be reckless with our words because we feel like we're being honest. I find myself saying this all the time. I'm from New York, and I would always say, hey, I'm from New York. We tell it how it is. You guys tell it how it might be. And we're just going to be honest. So I'm just going to tell you what's on my mind. And I realize that there's not wisdom in it. There's not wisdom in feeling the right and justified to honesty because we forgot that our honesty is creating at times death and not life in the relationships that are around us. If our words are supposed to bring about life or death or have the capacity to do that and your honesty is bringing about death to the relationships around you, then you are misusing your words, not being wise with your words. Sometimes honesty is honestly not the best answer. Let me give you a couple of examples. If you saw me in the lobby and you say, oh, Alan, I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, your hair has been thinning a lot this past year. And I would say, thanks for your honesty. But you did not speak life to me. You spoke the opposite. Let me go get some Rogaine or something. By the way, I always joke about my hair. I've gotten, like, emails about it. Hey, here's some things you can do. I'm totally secure in that. You guys don't know how to try and fix it. I'm good. I'm just making a joke. So last night, my kids, my daughter Maddie, she loves reading to the family. And so last night, uh, this took on new form. And so she started ordering all of us to sit in certain places. She said, you sit here, Dada. And Ezra, you sit here. Sit in your chair. And then she got in her own chair, and she had a book. And I, would, I recorded it. I would love to show you the video, but half the kids were naked, so I can't show you. And here she is. She's reading this book. She's three, so she doesn't know how to read. But she's reciting what she's memorized from us reading the book to her. So it's very cute. And she's sitting there reading the book, and she's very expressive. Imagine I went to her afterwards and said, Maddie, if I was honest with you, you do not know how to read. That was horrible. <laughs> Sometimes honesty is not the right thing to do. Sometimes honesty is not the answer. And some of us, especially, I don't know why, in the church at times, we take this word honesty and we wear it like a badge of honor and we just say, I'm just being honest. But we forget that true honesty and truth-telling has to be accompanied by love. It has to be accompanied by love. Honesty and deception don't go hand in hand. Honesty and destruction don't go hand in hand. Honesty is less about you getting something off your chest and more about you helping bring life to another person. Honesty should edify. So Paul, as he's writing to the Ephesian church, I think he would write the same thing to the church today. Here's what he says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That it may benefit those who listen. Biblical honesty means that your motivation is love and the benefit of the other person. 
not the belittling of the other person or not just getting something off your chest. Sometimes honesty needs some discernment and some wisdom and some truth-telling. And honesty needs to be accompanied by love. It's a second pitfall to avoid. By the way, all of us are guilty of misusing our words at times. I know this can be a heavier message to hear because all of us are probably thinking, man, i got to be better with my words. And that's okay. It's not my words. It's the words of Scripture, and God has given us his word so that he can convict, encourage, help us to grow and be more Christ-like. Amen? Here's a third pitfall to avoid when it comes to our language and our words. Prioritizing our mouth. Prioritizing our mouth. Here's what I mean by that. You might say, well, I'm supposed to prioritize my mouth and my speech and my tongue, right? Well, many of us, we listen to a sermon like this. And Ben, you guys can come on up. i got a few minutes left in my sermon. Uh, we listen to a sermon like this or read the book of James or the book of Proverbs and we say, okay, i got to fix my words. I gotta stop saying some of those negative words. I gotta stop saying some of those yucky words. I gotta stop uh, being overtly critical and being honest without love. I gotta do all these things. And so we try to white knuckle our way through it and then only to realize that we're back where we started when it comes to our words. And Jesus shows us how to overcome it. Jesus, by the way, was a very honest person, he was brutally honest. And we find, when we read the New Testament, that Jesus was especially honest to the religious leaders of the time. And I think if Jesus was among us this morning or in our city or in our country, Jesus would be in the churches being brutally honest with the religious leaders. Why? Not because there's no one out there doing anything wrong, but why? We represent God and his word and his values, and many times we don't know what we're doing when we try to live out what it means to be Christ-like. And Jesus did this with the Pharisees. And here's some honest feedback that Jesus gives the Pharisees when it comes to their mouth, their language. Here's what he says, Matthew chapter 12. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. And here's the brutal honesty of Jesus. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Some brutally honest words from Jesus to the religious leaders of the time. Saying, a good person brings good out of the good stored up in him. And that word there, brings out, in the original language that the Bible is written in the Greek, it literally means to fling or to throw out. A good person out of the good in their hearts throws or flings out good to others. It's almost just like spontaneous act of what's inside of you will come out. There's no delay, it just flings out, it just throws out, it can't stay there. It's like this coming few days, uh, some of us, hopefully all of us, will let our waters drip a little bit because we don't want our pipes to freeze and burst. Why does that happen? The water turns to ice. The ice, ice expands. There's so much pressure that it has to come out. And that's what Jesus is implying here when he says, a good person out of the good stored up in him will bring about good things. It'll fling out. It'll come out. It has to. An evil person, though, brings out the evil that's stored up in him. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So what your heart is full of is what ends up coming out to your family, your loved ones, your neighbors, your kids, 
And that's a difficult word for us to take in. If you're having a difficult time with your words, being too negative, or you have a pattern of killing relationships in your life or in the church or outside of it in your family, there's probably something internal that's causing it to come out of you. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What is the heart? Dallas Willard, he defines the heart as the center or core to which every other component of the self owes its proper functioning. The Bible, when it uses language around the heart, it's talking about the heart being the center of the human being. It's what determines what we give ourselves to, our drive, our passions, the way we direct our lives. The heart has the ability to redirect our lives. Everything that we give ourselves to, the heart is the one that controls it. And Jesus is saying it's out of what's in there, the pressure of it, whether good or evil, that comes out. And so this year, the greatest gift that you can give to the people around you when it comes to watching your mouth, your language, your communication, is not just self-help techniques and philosophies on how to speak better or to refrain from speaking, but it's actually filling your heart with the things of God. And that begins, number one, with not filling it with some junk. Like some of us fill ourselves with some TV shows, with some music, with some articles, with some podcasts that probably should not be in there. And when things come out of our mouth, we're surprised. And Jesus is teaching a very spiritual principle here. What's inside of you will come out. So what would it look like for you this year? For you to look back at the end of this year and say, you know what, I can look back on this year and say that my words help build and edify the people around me my kids, my spouse, my church community. Every single person that I encountered, I was able to use my words to edify. That begins with you getting in the presence of Jesus. Just being with him, filling yourself with the things of God, scripture, prayer, reading his word. Maybe you stop listening to a certain type of music this year as you begin this year and just surround yourself with God's word or music that edifies or glorifies God, whatever it might be, you know what it is that you need to stop doing and start doing. Maybe you follow along with us in our New Year reading plan every single day. For out of the abundance of the heart, the abundance of what you give yourself to, your mouth will communicate to the people around you. Imagine a year where our church is a church. You individually as part of the church is what I mean, helps edify and bring life to your neighborhoods, to your workplaces, to our city. Imagine this year, as every single pastor around the country is saying, this year is gonna be so divisive, get ready as you lead a church. Imagine Outer West, I could say, our church simply knows what it's like to not speak before thinking, to agree to disagree on secondary matters, to listen to one another because their heart is so full of the things of God. How would that change your marriages, your relationships, if we just got in the presence of God and understood that our mouth has the ability to bring about life and death? And God calls us to not speak too hastily, too quickly out of an emotional response, to not just be honest without having love attached to it, to not sitting down from someone and listening to them, and to filling our things with the things of God. Last week, I asked you to take a moment at the end of service just to pray, because James, 
said, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God and he will give it generously. And today I want us to pray again. And here's what I want you to do. If you can just close your eyes and bow your heads and just open your arms up, hands out like this as a posture of receiving from God. I want to pray over you this morning. Because I think there's a couple of groups of people here. I think, number one, there are some of you here who have been damaged. Your emotionally, psychologically, your identity has been damaged by words that have been spoken over you or at you. Some of you grew up in households where maybe your parents prioritize one sibling over the other and you've heard that in words and it has damaged you. Maybe you've been in a relationship where someone said, you're just not that kind enough, you're not good enough. Maybe you applied for a job and someone said, you just don't have what it takes. In fact, you should probably stop pursuing this, you'll never be successful. Many of us, our identity has been damaged by words spoken over us. We get anxiety every time those things come up. Because remember that word that has been spoken over us. God, I pray for healing for those folks in the room. And for myself as well. All of us who, whose identities have been damaged by negative words spoken over us. Would you bring healing? Would you give life? We thank you, Jesus, that your power your resurrection power is greater than the power of negative words spoken over us. May their identity, may our identity be found in us being loved, intimately known by the creator of the universe, valued by the creator of the universe, has status as righteous by the creator of the universe. May our identity be that we are sons and daughters of the Most High. And this year, may we step out of the things that have held us back when it comes to negative words and step in to what you speak over us, how you see us. That when we come to you, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. May we live that type of life. May that be shown in our, the way that we view ourselves. I also pray for my brothers and sisters maybe here this morning, maybe they were the ones, the source of those negative words. And that's hard for us to admit. None of us ever believed that we are the source of reckless words. But as we examine ourselves, maybe you bring to memory some things and maybe we've even felt it in our marriages or our relationships or in the schools that we go to. in our colleges, wherever we're at. Maybe we're the ones that have spoken some things too quickly, too emotional, and we felt the guilt and conviction of shame of that. I thank you, Jesus, that there is no shame when we come to you, that you remove shame when you speak love over us, that we are new creations being created in your image daily, that our minds are being renewed. That the former things can be put away because you are a God of new beginnings. So would you bring healing and redemption to those people as well? Would they step into this year with a decision to fill themselves with you, your presence, so that they can be edifying with their language, with the words that they use to those around us? We pray for our church, pray for our families, pray for our city, pray for our nation. This year will be a year of unity because we just understand to use our words a little less, 
to be wise before we speak, to listen before we speak? Would you bring reconciliation and would you speak life into families, to broken relationships, to damaged identities? Do what only you can. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your word that helps us to live out practically the things that hold us back from loving you and loving the people around us. We love you so much. It's in your precious name we pray. And the church said...